What does it mean to live with less stuff and more compassion? That's the question we aim to answer every week on the Minimalist Vegan Podcast. Hello, my name is Michael O'Fay and I'm joined by my wife, Marsha O'Fay, every week on this show to discuss the intersection of minimalism and veganism. Uh, not only on this podcast, but also on our website where we publish weekly articles and recipes, all of which you can find at theminimalistvegan.com. Happy New Year. It's been about five or six weeks since we last uh, recorded an episode. We decided that we needed a break from all of our content, take a bit of leave, recharge and uh, get ready for the new year. And we do explain what we've been up to over the last six weeks uh, in this conversation, as well as our topic for this week, which is about how to make the men in your life go vegan, which is a very juicy conversation that we felt was needed at a cultural level uh, with some of the, the things that we've seen in the vegan movement. So we hope you enjoy this conversation uh, to kick off the year and I'll check in after the episode to fill in any gaps. Alrighty. First episode for 2020. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> We're alive. It's good to be back. Yes. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. We hope you've had a wonderful... In February. <laughs> January. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the first time they're hearing from us, so... Yes. Yeah. Um, a lot has happened since we've uh, we've aired a podcast episode. Yeah. So, we'll just do a quick rundown of our life update before we get into this podcast episode. Um, one being that we're moving in a week. From recording of this, we will be moving to Tasmania. Yes. Which is the island state of Australia. <laughs> I love how you felt compelled to, to clarify that. Yeah. Well, some people might not know where that is. So Tasmanian the, devils though, Marsha. Yeah. Everyone knows what the Tasmanian devils is. Do but they? Maybe they don't know where no. the Tasmanian devil is. Yeah. So yeah. it's sort of the bottom part of Australia. It's, a, it's an island. Yep. Um, yeah, we're moving there. We're going to be living... In a cottage on a permaculture farm. Of course we are. And no, no, no. But I don't say that. I just, I just find it funny because you think, oh, minimalist vegans living in a cottage farm in Tasmania. Yeah. Sounds cliche. I, I just think it's funny because when we decided to move to Tasmania, we had a few friends ask us, like, will you be living in some cottage on, or a, farm? on a farm? Yeah. And we're like, no, no, no. We're going to be living in the city. And, 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 and then... I mean, week, the city is still... Over half of no, like a quarter of the population oh, of yeah, our city, small. which it, is yeah, it's still, still much smaller than all well, the other cities for in sure. Australia. Yeah, but then like a week later, we yeah were looking at a cottage, <laughs> and and it's yeah. Anyway, I'm really excited for the whole experience. And but when you think about what our goal is for 2020 and beyond, two words: slow creation. And yeah. it just seemed to fit the bill perfectly. And yes. it's like if we can't slow create in this place, then it's just not meant to be. Yep. So, yeah, we're very excited, but we're also very intentional with what we're doing. Um, that doesn't mean that we're not going to move to Slovenia, yes. for those of you wondering. Uh, we still are. It's just going to be a bit delayed. This is kind of like a little stepping stone. So we decided to move to Tasmania first and then I'm not going to give timelines because, you know, we've done that in the past and we've managed <laughs> to shoot ourselves in the foot of every second person saying, but I thought you were moving to Slovenia. Oh, I thought you moved overseas already. So there is a timeline for us, yep. what we're hoping for, but we'll keep that close to our chests until we know that we're going. Yes. Um, but yeah, so it's still, it's still definitely in the pipeline and Chewy's definitely still coming with us, our little doggy. Um, but yeah, we're looking forward to slowing down and, and living in nature and soaking up what feels like freedom. <laughs> For sure. For sure. So yeah, we're both very excited. Yep. And it's probably the next time you'll hear a podcast episode, we will have already moved there so mm. um, it's coming up very soon and another thing we wanted to well a couple of other things we wanted to touch base on was uh, the bushfires which I'm sure everyone has heard about um, mm. we weren't impacted immediately here in Canberra 
but we did feel it. There were a few days and it's still going on. It's actually the, the closest fire to Canberra is currently burning and it's out of control. Yeah, it's over 20,000 hectares at this point. And today was the top of 42 degrees Celsius. So it's been a very hot day and there is a bit of hot wind, which is the recipe for terrible, terrible fires Yeah, to continue spreading. But... Yeah, so that's the closest it's been and it's actually quite close to where Michael's family is on more on the south side of, of Canberra. But there was a few days earlier in this month because today's the 31st when we're recording uh, that Canberra had the worst air quality in the world and you couldn't go outside. You couldn't breathe. It was it was really bad. The sky was completely fluorescent orange mm. and it just kind of brought it down to reality of what's going on and two weeks after that it hailed so badly that the hailstones damaged hundreds I would say probably thousands of cars yeah in Canberra smashing you know Windows I'm sure a lot of and everything yeah. a lot of um, birds also were injured or killed in that process they were the size of golf balls. A lot of plants were completely smashed. We were lucky that it didn't happen on this side of town. Um, and yeah, like a complete contrast to two weeks prior. Yep. So it just goes to show that things are changing and mm. we really have to start acting now and being much more aware of our daily habits and actions. And I think that that's, we, we talked about this prior and we made the decision to move to Tasmania and, you know, slow down and everything before all of this happened. But it just made us even more determined and more driven to to slow down and to live with more intention and to live more sustainably. Yeah. Um, being vegans and being minimalists, you know, a lot of people will think, well, isn't that enough? I mean, there's always more that every single person can do. And... I think it's important to acknowledge that we all need to do our part. Yeah. You know, Australia has lost over a billion animals. Wildlife has perished due to the fires here in Australia. Like wrap your head around that. Mm. One billion animals have lost their lives because of fire that spread and they couldn't escape it. That's that's their homes. I mean, a lot of people lost their homes as well, but these animals, you know, there's so many now orphans and a lot of koalas as well. I think it ha- we've lost a third of the koala population mm. in Australia, which is ginormous. Yeah. Um, and that's because they're not fast enough to run. When the fire spreads so quickly, they can't they can't escape. So it's um it's a bit scary and very very sad but we're trying to keep our spirits up and keep doing what we can do. And look and I think we've I think the positive part is that we've seen local communities come together. Mm. We've seen global communities really support Australia. Uh and it started some really great meaningful conversations and debates about climate change and the, and and it's certainly moved up the priorities yeah um which is what unfortunate to be not, for what has not, happened yeah exactly yeah. right but it's been uh, nationwide but globally there's there's things happening all around the world but mm. i think it just really shines a light on on the situation and and i think that's really positive it's created a a really tangible platform to have these conversations about what we need to do at a systemic level and also at an individual level. So um, it certainly um, got us more motivated down that path of sustainability. Uh, So we want to step it up ourselves. And yeah, let's continue to to try and reduce this impact as much as possible. Yeah. And I guess with that being said, we focused a lot of our energy in January amongst other things on planning content for the year and what that's going to look like. Um, And we're really excited about some of the topics that we've got coming up. So do you want to tell everyone a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think it was really good to take a break in January just because, you know, it's good to have a break uh, and do and make 
life decisions like moving buying a Tarago and and moving to Tasmania, taking all your things and moving to Tasmania. But it also gave us some breathing room to take a step back and and reflect on the type of content we created last year, not only in the podcast but for our recipes and our articles and 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 think about what what's really resonating with us going into this year. What are some categories of content that we feel really inspired to create and i think obviously with all the stuff happening at the moment with the fires sustainability is is something that we want to create more Mm. content around and i know marsha's in particular is quite excited with in her recipe creation is capturing more of a story of uh from seed to plate you know in terms of capturing the whole journey of harvesting produce because we may have opportunity to do that now in tasmania just to clarify we're not running this farm. A lot of people have actually asked us, oh, so will you be running the oh, farm? Oh, no. No, no we're no, not no. running the farm. We're just renting a cottage on the farm, yes. on the permaculture farm. Yes. So there is a family that lives, they'll be our neighbours. Yes. Um, and they've got woofers that do work on the farm and they've got somebody else as well that um, is, I think he's a musician that will be living on the farm. So right. we will get involved when we can and um, if, if they're keen to teach us, we'd be really happy to learn. Yes. And we might even, like, we'll have our own little section of veggie patch. And, of course, we'll support them however we can and, and buy produce from them if they've got spare, which is really exciting to be able to have that right at your fingertips. But, yeah, we're not going to be, like, running the farm. Yeah, yeah. And I should clarify. So, when uh, I think when I was saying that Marsha's interested in capturing the whole process, it doesn't necessarily mean that she'll be growing her own produce. That might be something yeah. that, that will happen in in the future, but it's more just, yeah, telling the story around ingredients mm. and, and before it gets to the plate. Yeah, that's what we've got we've got in store for 2020 and we're really excited about the lineup. Yes, and we hope that you are too because we've got some great things lined up for you. Now, let's get into this topic. We won't delay it any further. Um, so I guess this particular podcast episode was inspired by a documentary that came out last year yep. um, called The Game Changers. Now, I'll let Michael tell you a little bit what The Game Changers is all about. Yeah, so uh, to give you a quick summary, so James Wilkes, so he's an ex-MMA fighter and he was actually a winner of the Ultimate Fighter competition uh which is also known as ufc so he he basically travels around the world um on a quest to try and get the truth about meat protein and performance in athletics uh and he basically goes on to showcase elite athletes special ops soldiers and scientists all in a way to change the way we perceive plant-based foods and animal-based foods uh, as it relates to performance i think the reason that we picked this documentary is because a it's fresh yes and b positioned it in such an interesting way to anchor something that is so true yet it's very stereotypical we will admit that and a lot of the things that we will talk about in this podcast episode are very stereotypical so the positioning of the film when we actually we analyze so we can't, we've watched this before so this is the second time we've watched the documentary and we went from a you know we were looking at it from a different lens but it was i found it more interesting the second time yeah, around me too <laughs> and when we watched the trailer i was paying much more close attention to how they actually pieced it together and what you know what the first impressions are and the first thing i noticed within seconds was this super hyped up music with Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, talking about meat and, you know, obviously him lifting weights when he was much younger and advocating for meat to build muscle and to be a manly man. Yes. And yet within seconds, he debunks that by saying it's advertising really that's, that's doing that. Yeah. And that the media sells that, this idea that real men eat meat. Yep. So the first three examples in that trailer are men. Yes. And there's this, as I said before, there's this motivational rap music going on from start to finish and it like trying to pump you up and get excited and (laughs) testosterone pumping and all of this sort of stuff. 
mind you that there is um, there is a couple of female examples in there as well, in the trailer as well as the documentary yes, itself. Yes. So the movie opens up with the rap music again. Yes. Was that in the trailer actually? So no, no. So the trailer had uh, like it kicked off with like Arnold Schwarzenegger, then James Wilkes, the MMA fighter, and then a um, a powerlifter. Yeah. Right. So this hits you with this. But was the was there the music? No, no. The music was more in the documentary, the rap music. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I remember it being quite dominant, but I couldn't remember which section yeah. it was in. So, yeah, I mean, it kind of, it talks to that real, like, nah, man, like, I can't be vegan, you know, like, yeah. I need to eat meat to to get my protein, bro. Is that, like, is that, is that your uh, bro voice? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> is that your bro impersonation? It was, it was a bit pathetic, wasn't no, no, it? No, it was not bad. It, was, it wasn't bad, yeah. I'm sure people are yeah. going to be laughing at me. Anyway, so. Um, but it, got, it had that vibe, right? Yeah, yeah. it definitely did. And, but I think it overall did a really good job mm. at getting that point across and really like pushing the message in the right way and covering as many different aspects as possible. For sure. Yeah. So, and I think like as you're watching the film and, and as we said, there are some female athletes mm. in, in the documentary as well, but it's, and, and it's super, like super inspiring stories with them. It, it almost felt like they were put into the documentary for good measure. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, okay, there will be a female audience for this. Yeah. Um, so also that he doesn't come across as like, well, what about women in athletics Perhaps. or in performance? Yeah. You know, like so that they cover their bases. So yeah, they don't but get... I also think they're trying to give as many examples of performance based on a vegan diet as possible yeah. across different genders and different, different types of performance, different yeah, countries yeah. and things like that. Ages um, as well. Yeah. But I, I, I can't help but but think that, the, <laughs> you, you know, because it, it's, and we'll talk about it a bit later, but it is a bit harder to sort of get the vegan messaging across to men generally. And, and I imagine that there's, you know, in heterosexual relationships, there's a lot of women sort of being hopeful that this film is going to get through to perhaps their partner, right? Mm. Um, and, or and the way any, it's positioned. any other man in their life. Or any other man in their life, yeah. Um, so I, I just think, yeah, it, it definitely had that vibe that it was very intentional, but it was really well done. And even if you look at just the opening credits of the documentary, they name drop a whole bunch of well-known mm. men. Mm. And, and they to all, kind of give it, give it credibility yeah. from the get-go so it's not like, oh, what is this, some kind of hippie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, oh, okay, James I Cameron, see. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jackie Chang, Lewis Hamilton, Novak Djokovic, Chris Paul. If you're listening to this, you might be like, who are these people? But for this audience, they tend to know who these people are, these male figures in these fields. And they're all executive producers. Um, so in this movie They're all named yeah. Executive producers In the credits So like You've got the rap music Going on You've got Arnold Schwarzenegger Kicking off the film And then you're looking At these names You're like Oh I know this person Well in the I trailer He's no, I'm kicking about, off the film Oh yeah yeah yes. Not in the actual not film in the, well, yeah. Not in the documentary But um, it's sort of Yeah You you, you can sort of see Like oh okay no, I, I'm in I'm yeah. hooked. I'm going to watch this documentary. And let's I think, see what they've got to say. Yeah, let's see what they've got to say. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, clearly James Cameron, who led the charge, I think uh, I think he, he, he produced a lot of the funding for this film, uh, really sat down and built a really great team and really thought about the positioning, mm. particularly to the male market. And, yeah. and I think... I think they nailed it, yeah. Yeah. And it, I think it was mainly what's every single possible objective? Objection, yeah. Yeah. For somebody to say, obviously in this situation, males, to say why they won't become vegan. Yep. And I think they did a really good job at using the science and also just kind of showing that every type of man out there that is into performance, regardless of what they look like, it will help them. Yep. Yeah, so... I guess Michael did a little bit of digging around to see how well this documentary was received on the internet because it can be a little bit brutal depending on 
on who the audience is. Do you want to share a little bit about your findings? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, it's one thing for us to to watch this documentary a few times around and, and be pretty impressed by it, but it's always interested, interesting to see uh, what the general consensus is. And on IMBD, obviously a very popular movie website, uh, it's got a, an average score of 8 out of 10. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes is at 70%, which is quite high for Rotten Tomatoes. And 92% of people like it on Google. Uh, I believe it was the most... Um, I had the highest amount of pre-orders for any documentary last year on iTunes. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty before impressive. Before release. So, that says a lot. Yeah. You know, like the people were so curious and interested to see it. Yeah. That they wanted to pre-order it. That's really interesting. For sure. Yeah. Um, I forgot the name of the director, but... um. I know they're, they've directed some really good documentaries in the past, but um, there was definitely a level of quality uh, to how it was shot. Yeah. Um, so, which which brings us to, I don't know, like what type of impact it had on us. Mm. And I know that there were some viewings, some early viewings of this documentary around the world. And, and I know just because we're part of the vegan community, uh, it kept coming up in our feed and with friends that we know online. And there was quite a lot of hype and anticipation for this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, sort of getting an idea of like some of uh, like snippets of the trailers and teasers. It, I don't know. We couldn't help. I don't know. I couldn't help but assume that, oh, okay, here we Like I kind of rolled my eyes like, oh, this is like, I don't know. This is just going to be some, um, yeah, you know, like some documentary targeted at, at dudes, uh, which I think it is. But I think... What but was you really also worry about the credibility and think, how they're going to position and make it seem like veganism is everything. Yeah, and I know. And we, like, you know, like it is life changing, but ones that we've watched before, they take it a little bit too far. I where thought it's that just would, would like, what the health? Mm, like, yeah, yeah they I, did. What, like what the health? I just thought it was like, uh, it, you know, and a lot of impacted a lot of people to try veganism, which is fantastic, right? Yeah. But I just think it it, it promised so much. Yeah. I remember um, talking about sugar not being bad and that to me went a little bit too far because they were trying to, you know, position that everything that's that's not, that's animal-based is bad, which I believe so too. But then they went to position it in a way that will make veganism come out on top right? and talk about sugar. Yeah. And so I just, at that point, they lost me. Okay. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. It so so I think we were um we were wrong to assume that it was sort of uh, it was going to go down that path but I think what was really impressive is that it was engaging the whole way through. Mm. Um and in particularly watching a documentary for the second time in a short short time span it's um you yeah, know that some documentaries are often. quite yeah. dry. Yeah. Uh but no this is really engaging and it, it it and I think ultimately it just got us thinking about the role of men in society uh, as it relates to veganism and what's going on there. Mm. Um, and I think that's what we got out of this this documentary and obviously which has led us to this podcast topic, which is, you know, uh, how, how do we get more men to be vegan? Yeah. And the reason we say how do we get more men is because it's a very female-dominated community. Mm. And lifestyle. So, for instance, if you're looking at what the Vegan Society survey says, it says 63% of vegans in Great Britain are female and only 37 are male. And in the US, they've also stated that 79% of vegans are women. So... I don't know. When you saw these stats, okay, let's just say, yeah, like 65 to 80% um, of these vegan communities are women Mm. did that come as a surprise to you it didn't but i didn't think that the number was so high Mm. because like when we the few times we've gone to like a vegan event like Mm. a vegan festival or something like that here in Mm. australia i haven't paid attention this is the thing i have (laughs) and i kind of just look i just survey the event just to see what type of people are there because most people who go to these events are vegan. And they're normally and, younger as well. Yeah. So a couple of things that stand out is that they're like a, a younger sort of demographic, not to say that they're all young, but the majority are. Mm. And the majority are females. Yeah. And 
and for good measure, uh, the majority are white uh, as well, and in at least in Australia and the events that we've been to, and and it's interesting. So like that's the eye test in a social situation um, of a very small sample. Mm. But then if you look at these numbers in these different nations, it, it, it actually is not that surprising. So it makes sense that to grow the vegan movement, like let's just be really practical here, to grow the vegan movement, one of the greatest opportunities is going to be in the male demographic. Yeah. Right? So... Um, and that's and, a much harder market to crack, obviously, as you can see by the numbers yeah. than it is for the women in in that market and when we were doing some research about this I kind of again I'm stereotyping here so when you look at veganism it comes across as a very uh, compassionate caring nurturing sort of lifestyle and on a more uh, on a deeper level that's more associated with females so it naturally seems that females would be more attracted and drawn to a lifestyle like this one. Open, yeah. 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 Um, whereas men might not be, again, because of the perceived idea that you can't be, you know, fit, strong, heavy, you know, like a fit guy and be vegan at the same time. Mm. And I think that this is the main punchline of this documentary is to really show you well that's that's not the case absolutely you know yeah here's an example of a you know the world's strongest man here's an example of a gridiron football team here's an example of a really super fit female doing the 400 meter race like here's an like so there's all these different examples and then they show you a super lean guy who 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 ran, I don't know how long he was running for. He ran for like 48... 46 days. 46 days straight. It was absolutely disgusting. Um, <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> just ridiculous performance. But they showed you endurance, strength, different types of body types. Mm. Yeah. But you know what was interesting? That none of them, besides one athlete that we've heard of before, none of them were born vegan and none of them have been vegan for a really, really long time either. Some of them were coming close to probably a decade, but most of them transitioned in the last few years. So to see that the majority of them actually switched because of performance mm. and to see that their performance increased even though they were getting older is really interesting. Yes. So that that aspect of, I think, relatability for a lot of men that they're not like, oh, well, you know, trying to, to sort of not give people excuses as to oh well he was born vegan or you know he was introduced to veganism years or decades ago so it showed different aspects of introduction and as to also why and a lot of them it was for performance yep um, when they would have thought the complete opposite so to continue on with this conversation we kind of just want to point out some of the struggles of why heterosexual men aren't becoming vegan and we did a quick little survey on our Instagram account. And do you want to tell us about what you found? Because I didn't actually even read any of the <laughs> responses. Oh, you read some, yeah. I read a couple. Yeah, yeah. So, so we were focusing on females that are in relationship with men for the purpose of this exercise. Yep. It wasn't for any other reason. We weren't trying to exclude any groups. It was just for the purpose of this particular episode because that was our focus. Yes. Yeah, so we we asked a quick survey just sort of really trying to reach out to vegan females just to get an idea of their partner's status as it relates to veganism. So, you know, are they, are they vegan? They're not vegan, but are they open-minded to it? Or you guys don't talk about veganism at all? Or he's just not that interested? And from that we started a bit of dialogue and got a bit more context from some of some of our followers as to uh, why or why not their partner was vegan. And in, in these conversations, it became really apparent that uh, there, were, there were a few, uh, I should say that there were a few situations where the, the man in the relationship was vegan first. 
mm-hmm. and they introduce veganism uh, and introduce the concept to their female partner. But for the majority, it's again, this, this is just based on the feedback and the conversations that we were having. Um, but stereotypes come into play here, you know, and a lot of the examples would be like, okay, well, the female uh, was the one that prepares a lot of the meals at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they became vegan after they got together. And then because they were kind of controlling what was being bought and cooked in the house, they started to make vegan meals and then sort of the, the, the men just sort of came along on the journey, but not weren't fu- they weren't quite fully committed. It's not like mm. they own that journey themselves. Um, so they might eat vegan at home, but they don't eat vegan when they're out or they still sort of prepare their own meals from time to time. Now, this was just the most common thread. There was examples of, you know, men cooking more than women and all of these sort of gender dynamics that um, it's probably not for this episode. But for the most part, it was, um, it seemed to be that um, the female partners were trying to encourage their male partners to become vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people even mentioned that their partners who did become vegan, they watched Game Changers and that had a huge influence in their decision to become vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, and some were saying that they managed to influence them enough for them to do their own research and to educate themselves to become vegan. And that's where there was a lot more sustainable change. But for the most part, it was like, it was this sort of like I'm a part-time vegan at home type of yeah. situation. Yeah. And there was definitely some resistance around things like getting enough nutrients and protein. And there was still that typical pushback that we get. And there was, there was even one, one, one listener, she might be listening to this episode, who is not in a relationship at the moment, but where she lives is, is very dominant around hunting and farming and uh, where Monsanto is and... Um, it's it's really hard to find male vegans. In, like it's like it's very rare. Um, so the majority of vegans are female. I imagine it's even much higher percentage than what we've even talked about so far, according to these surveys. And the the thing is, even the non-vegan men are not even open or accepting of vegans. So they kind of put down vegans quite a lot in a dating context. So that, I thought that was quite interesting as well. So. Mm. That make it um, very difficult. Yeah, for sure. So there was there was a lot of different examples, but the majority was, okay, I cook most of the food. I'm vegan now. Please try veganism. And it's like, okay, I'm kind of just going along with it. But yeah. I'm not really all the way there. Yeah. Well, because it, there was no motivation on their behalf. Yes. It's kind of the motivation is there just to keep peace and yeah. not have to cook themselves. Correct. <laughs> so it also comes down to convenience and just going along with it i guess yeah so other things that um those are some really great examples but other things that i sort of thought about were when i was thinking about the struggles of why men might not be interested in veganism is when you look at the dynamic of of men and other men in their lives and how that relationship plays out and how they might not have that support or the leadership to be able to get what they need to continue on with it. Right. So it's not even a question because a lot of men like to be in social situations where they feel accepted. Yes. And that could be a scary thing to challenge completely. And um, speaking of of something that they're scared about is that feeling of their manhood is at risk and that other people will poke fun at them for just eating plants. Um, and also having this feeling like they would have to change their whole lives just to change their diets. Yeah. And I know veganism isn't just about diet, but I think that that's where majority of it lies and where the biggest challenge is for a lot of people and they worry that they won't feel like themselves that they will have to completely turn into somebody else yeah because of the situation that they're in and the lifestyle that they live for sure i mean we've talked about identity before a previous Mm. episode which we'll link to in the show notes but you know when you tie your identity around eating a particular way and linking those experiences to um you know male role models in your life it's um you know, when you change or question that, it's a very vulnerable place to be in mm. and it's very scary. So when you first became vegan, 
Like what were the thoughts that were running through your head? Did you have any hesitation towards it from that point of view? Like, you know, oh, this will be really challenging when I'm around my friends or I'll get teased or I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. Like did any of that come up for you at all? Uh, yeah, look, I I think before I was vegan, um, I definitely had that perception of weakness. Like if, if, if you're eating primarily plants, then that's associated with weakness. But I think by the, deci- by the time I ma- made the decision to be vegan, there was no hesitation. Now, did I feel like there was going to be an aftermath? Yes. It kind of felt like I was coming out. You know what I mean? Like this build up of something I had to tell people that were close to me, like friends and family. And that brought a level of anxiety, I think. Uh, it made me feel isolated. Um, I isolated myself because I didn't want to have to defend myself or justify, justify my reasons. Um, so there was a lot of pride associated with that as well because I didn't want um, objections or resistance that, that would frustrate me. So uh, there was a lot of that going on. And, and you know, I, I also grew up with, um, I don't know how else to say it. Like, like, you know, I look at who I was in the past and who I am now. It's two very different people. I, I grew up in, uh, as, you know, a, a, a basketball player. Um, there, there was a lot of broness in me. You know what I mean? There was like the people I surrounded myself with um, and my close friends were really, we were dudes. Like we really were. Like we, we were smelly and, and we played a little mud and we met a lot of the stereotypes of a man. And there was a lot of internal bullying amongst guys like that, right? There's a lot of putting each other down just to have fun. And it's just kind of what you do to kind of survive in those social situations. So uh, even as adults, there's an element of that, right? And so I knew that there was going to be comments and remarks and things like that were going to be annoying. So for sure, there was definitely some some vulnerabilities I felt when I first became vegan to deal with that. Uh, at the same time, though, my reasons for becoming vegan were so strong and I had so much conviction in it that... I didn't care as much. Like I did care, but I didn't at the same time. But I think those thoughts came after you decided to be vegan, not before, which is where I think a lot of resistance holds for men to even consider being vegan. You know what I mean? So yeah, yes. you became vegan and then all of this came on top of it. Yeah. So I'm impulsive that way. Do, yeah. do first... Deal with the repercussions later. Which is, which is, I think, a really great way to go about it because it's your heart that's leading the way rather than you trying to justify what all of the objections could be as to why it's not even a consideration. Yep. So that's, that's really interesting. So I guess bringing it back to what this conversation is all about and that's how to make the men in your life go vegan and there were three particular things that kept coming up time and time again for us and three things for for men to overcome and the first one is masculinity which we just talked about in in short but masculinity in social situations and what that represents. Yeah, just to elaborate on, on this point a little bit more is, um, okay, there's a few places I want to take this. So the first thing is just talking very frankly about, I suppose, the stereotype of, you know, strong, strong men, right? And and I know that in in locker rooms, in gyms, in in, in beers with the boys, the barbecues, the, the the conversations that come up. As I said, there's a sometimes, more often than not, there is a, a a friendly competition amongst men. There's a lot of ego and pride. I'm not saying that this is true for all men, by the way, but I'm just saying for this type of demographic. And there's a lot of, um, in that moment of competition, there's, uh, you, you know, th- there's some pretty confronting terminology that men will use on each other right so i can just talk from personal experience that like you know like when i first became vegan i was still playing basketball and i wasn't playing particularly well on on one given game 
and the vegan card was brought up, you know, as a place of weakness. Like, oh, you're not getting enough meat in your diet, man. Like, come on. That's why, like, you know, like it was, it was a way to sort of get inside my head, right? And I say these type of examples because... Um, you know, I come from a past of, unfortunately, and it's, it's, it's easy to admit now, but like putting down men as well, because again, that's kind of like a survival mechanism and this whole alpha sort of complex that's going on in, and Marsha's just looking at me like, this is really interesting. Um, but amongst dudes like this. So that's the first thing. And I say that because when Marsha and I were talking off air about this particular example, about this whole idea of masculinity, and this being a huge objection for men becoming vegan. And we thought about some of the, you know, the most stereotypical men that we knew and how we would approach them about this topic of masculinity. We were up against something that was pretty challenging because if you listen to this podcast right now, I want you to, well, don't do this if you're driving or put yourself at risk or whatever. But if you have a moment, a bit of downtime, close your eyes and think about the image that comes to your mind when you think about a male vegan, right? Just the first thing that comes to your mind, no filter, no need to be politically correct with yourself. It's okay. Just what visual do you have, right? Mm. And when we did this exercise, because of the reference points that we have, uh, particularly in person, time and time again, uh, a fairly lean Caucasian male sometimes with long hair, sometimes with a beard, came up time and time again. Was that correct? Yeah. It just seemed to meet this sort of stereotype of a vegan male. Mm. When we close our eyes and we think about a female vegan, there was no stereotype. Mm. It was like, I can imagine females of all different backgrounds, cultures, size, that could be vegan. I could look at basically any female at any age... And if they said they were vegan, I'd be like, oh, yeah, cool, right? It, it, it just kind of visually makes sense. But for some reason, when we're visualizing men, we kept getting a fairly slim white guy. And even though we watched this documentary twice and yeah. there's all different types of men in this documentary, we still came back to that conclusion. And, I mean, it's not even um, like this is the men, I guess, that we know and that you'd kind of – if they said that they were, were vegan, you'd be like, of course you are. You know, it was kind of that wouldn't be a surprise if they were. Yeah. And it's like, what? The, like, okay. And we just did this exercise because we're brutally honest with ourselves. And then we thought, okay, if we're approaching like the most stereotypical sort of alpha male who is just like, um, like that is crazy. Like vegan, that is so weak, Right. You know, they're also thinking about this stereotypical example. And by the way, shout out to all the vegan men. Um, if you if you meet this stereotype, like you're awesome. Um, but, but, but I think that is a genuine fear mm. and associated with some level of weakness for men who have strong aspirations in performance or who do not want to be perceived as weak, right? So that was the first huge thing that we needed to overcome and obviously documentaries like game changers and things like that try to shift that perspective but um then we dug a little bit deeper as to how we would mind you not to say that men with beards and with long hair and that are caucasian are weak no way so that's just like that's yeah yeah that hopefully that goes without saying um but i thought the best way to sort of change the narrative of this stereotype and weakness is to to flip it around because you know when i think about my journey of becoming vegan and i am a pretty i'm considered a stocky african background black male right um and i know that when and i talk i talk in a really practical pragmatic way um and I probably was considered one of those alpha sort of males in the past. So whenever I talk to people and I tell them that they're vegan, they're kind of taken aback a little bit. You mean that you're vegan? Uh, and I told them that I'm vegan, they're kind of taken back a little bit because they're like, whoa, you don't, you don't seem to fit that what I sort of expected, imagined, imagined yeah. in my mind. And, and this is, I'm just talking about the real talk here, the unconscious bias that we all have towards each other. when we, And that, he's not making this up. Like this, yeah. people have said this to your face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With first impressions, right? So, but 
But I think when we talk about weakness, it's a really interesting thing. And if you're listening to this and and you feel that resistance of like, yeah, like like if you're real with yourself, like being vegan, man, is, is perceived as weak. Um, I'd love, I'll challenge you or get you to challenge that somebody in your life who thinks this way that there's a, there's, it requires a lot of strength to be vegan. And mm. what I mean by that, and this has taken me a long time for me to accept this because... You know, when I became vegan, uh, which is approaching six years for my anniversary later on this year, because I became vegan for ethical reasons and I found the transition fairly easy because I was highly motivated, I was so desperate to communicate to people that the transition is easy that I didn't want to acknowledge that it's it's actually a pretty difficult thing to do. Mm. And it's difficult not because of the the logistics of switching your diet or what you consume, it's difficult because of the social dynamics of it. This mm. masculinity business, this this idea of being perceived as weak. But it's interesting, if I'm really honest with myself, when somebody comes up to when a guy comes up to me and says, Oh man, like cool, like I respect you and everything, but personally I could never go vegan, man. Like I could never give up meat. Like you know, I just, I don't know. I just feel good on it. I need the protein. I love the taste too much. I think that's weak. Mm. Does that make sense? So it's just like, oh, okay. So you don't have the mental toughness to become vegan, mm. right? And that's a level of strength as well. Being able to go, oh, I'm changing my lifestyle and I'm doing this despite going against everything that all the people close to me believe in and I might be put down. I might be put in vulnerable situation. I might have to overcome all these things. Yeah. That's strength, Mm. right? To be, to, to think independently and to follow your own actions is leadership, right? Being a follower is easy. Yeah. Being a follower, I'm just going to come out and say it is weak. Yeah. Being a leader is hard and you need strength to be a leader. And I think, for a lot of men out there who don't fit the stereotype of what we described as a male vegan have a huge chance and opportunity to be a leader. Mm. Because if you tell other people you're vegan, you are reprogramming everybody's perception about what it means to be a vegan man because you look different to the stereotype. You're a leader. Mm. That's tough. That's strong. So that's what the way I would approach it is that Cool. Okay, let's say becoming vegan is hard. You need to be tough to do it. You need a lot of mental toughness to do it. Yeah. Then that's something admirable to sort of go forward for. That's that's a that's part of your identity. You can really hang your hat on. Yeah. Um, as opposed to feeling left out as yeah. a follower. No, that's that's really well said, and I hundred and ten percent agree with that. And it takes a lot of courage to do that, to not be a follower and be a leader, but life's too short to to do things just because everybody else is doing it yeah so i hope that this gives some of you the inspiration to look at it in a completely different way than you might have in the past Mm. rather than a weakness look at it as a strength and look at it as something that you can inspire other people to do as well yeah if you don't inspire others it doesn't matter you've done it for yourself that should be enough yeah so yeah That's great. Now, the next point we wanted to talk about was overcoming performance. So, as we talked about the Game Changers, the documentary, I think you should all go out and watch it. That's a great reference point um, to really debunk pretty much everything out there possible when it comes to performance. They do a really good job at talking about that at length. And coming at it from every possible angle. Yeah, and they look and they use really good data, and um, and we 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 nerded out quite a lot, even beyond the documentary. We uh, you you know, if you listen to this, you, you may or may not be aware of Joe Rogan. Uh, he's got, I think, the largest podcast uh, in existence, and uh, he's a real bro. You know, he's a hunter and. Um, he likes mixed martial arts and uh, like I don't really follow his podcasts. Um, he just keeps coming up on my feed because he's always interviewing vegans. But um, 
you know, those after the game changes came out because a lot of people in that film were also part of his audience. There was a lot of conversations um, within the like in sports science on his podcast about the game changes and uh, people trying to debunk some of the things that James Wilkes was debunking in Game Changers and it started a lot of really good debates. But even when people were trying to discredit um, some of the information in Game Changers, James Wilkes really put in a lot of work and he's this is this guy's like five black belts across different fields and he teaches people self-defense, you know, in life or death situations. He's a he's a very tough and scary guy, a very lean guy. Um, but he's really done his research and he's coming back with conviction, backing up a lot of the data that they were quoting, uh, particularly as it relates to, to protein and quantity and quality on the Joe Rogan podcast. To the point where the, 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 the feedback and how people are trying to take down the game changers now is coming down to, well, okay, people are acknowledging that the performance is there on a vegan diet. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's now becoming to the point indisputable. But now people are saying that, well, people are sort of glorifying veganism to the point where that's, where it's not entirely true that you can't get any performance eating an omnivore diet. Like let's say you eat 80% of your diet from plants. Yeah. Right? Organic, fresh plants. But then 20% of your diet is on lean meats and eggs and things like that, right? So the argument's now... Sorry? And fish. And fish. So the argument is now gone from, oh, vegans are weak and it doesn't perform to, okay, no, we get it. We accept it. But but it doesn't mean you can't perform eating majority vegetables and plants and Mm. still eat a bit of animal protein, Mm. right? It's like they always need to throw back in the animal protein yeah, yeah. Food somewhere. Yeah, but I think that's exciting. It's exciting to the point where in in this community of like people who are really arguing about performance and sports science and masculinity have accepted the fact that you can perform on a vegan diet. So it's shifted the conversation up another level to now think about, okay, well, if you can perform on a vegan diet, now it's about a choice. Yeah, but I think to them it's like, well, do I go to the extreme of a vegan diet or do I mainly do plant-based with some proteins from animals? Yeah. And so I think most people, if they're not prepared to challenge themselves or don't have that ethical, you know, environmental, environmental, whatever behind it, will always pick the majority. I mean, it's still saving animals' lives, but it's... It's like it's kind of it's a bit of a cop out, really. Yeah, but it's far better though yeah. than what what it was before, which is just like completely disregarding veganism. Yeah. The oh no way you can't yeah. can't get any of your nutrients on, veg, uh, on a vegan. Even diet. just seeing some of these athletes in this documentary yeah. walking around with a plate that had a piece of meat. I don't even know how big how it's possible for these animals to be this big. Mm. But they would have a piece of meat (laughs) that would be hanging off the plate. Like the bone would be so long that I'm surprised it didn't fall off the plate. It was just so ginormous. Those are the the things that... I've never seen that in real life Marsha, like I used to pencil that in my calendar. That's disgusting. Like, oh, we're going to have the biggest chicken sense or the biggest steak we possibly can. And those specific pubs around town that would be like, you know, if you finish this steak... It's so big. We'll put your name up on the board. Oh, God. You know what I mean? And I used to pencil that in my calendar of excitement. And would you ever see females doing something like that? Um, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, but um, it's very real. So so I think the what I like about it is that it's leveled up and it's it's changed the narrative. So I think the, the ve- veganism as a diet has got a lot more credibility and performance now. And I think even if people are not going all the way, it's a now a reference point. We're starting to raise that objection altogether. So from a performance standpoint, like I, I just don't, like I think, I hope that moving forward, performance is not something that we need to continue to debate, right? It's just mm. about the choice. Mm. Um, and it, and I think we can use films like The Game Changers to refer to, to, to men who have that objection uh, and and even to these debates with Joe Rogan and like people that they likely know, yeah, that he's interviewing, debating these things, which bring more validity to veganism, yeah, uh, from a performance standpoint. Mm. So far, we've talked about 
um, one area of performance. But another thing that um, that was mentioned in the game changes was um, uh, 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 is performance uh. of uh, erections. Uh, just to go to that place for a moment here. But I think this is a really smart thing to drop into the documentary, right? Mm. Because if there's any concern, like greatest concern for men... And their manlyhood. Um, and their manlyhood. It's going to come down to the performance of their penis, right? And and I think the fact that, you know, there, there's some really positive signs of how a vegan diet can help in that area of manlyhood is like really speaking to the soul of vulnerability mm. of men. Like, And I thought that was really smart that that was put in there. So... If you're really trying to like get into the heads of these prideful men in your life, maybe go to that place as well. <laughs> That's a huge place of fear um, that you can speak to. It might get them intrigued to at least watch a documentary, right? So, um, you know, I'm talking about getting a bit scrappy here to get people to really scrappy. to think about to shift their perspective around these things. So, mm. um, you know, don't be afraid to use that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. And the um, the last thing, I guess, that a lot of it comes down to is the emotion, emotional connection that we have when it comes to food and the taste of food. And I think there are so many people that are deeply passionate about animal-based foods mm. and the taste of them. And they are scared of what taking those things, like what they will eat if you take those things away from them and what food will taste like to them if they're taken away. Yeah, and this is a concern for any gender um, about adopting a vegan lifestyle. But I think when we talk about specifically this demographic of men, um, I think you are telling me before that, like, you know, in these stereotypical relationships, you know, if men are cooking, what are they typically cooking? Like barbecues. Barbecues or uh, roasts or pig on the spits or, um, you know, something based around meat. Or it's like eggs and bacon. Yeah, something like eggs and bacon. Yeah, you're right. Actually, you look at our relationship. Uh, even the few times I would cook early on in our relationship. That's but what you would do. I'd be like, oh, no, 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 let me, I'll handle the meat. Like, yeah. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about being a stereotype. Anyway, so. But even with your family, like yeah. your dad always used to be in charge of the barbecue. Yeah. I would never see your sister or your mum go anywhere near the barbecue. Yeah. And if your dad wasn't around, it yeah. was your brother yeah. when he came to visit. Yeah. Or yeah. some other male. It would never be a female. Yeah, you're right. That is, so <laughs> and not that it was done on purpose. Like it's just that's the way that it that it was. Yeah. Yep. So, so there's a. I think there's some psychological thing going on there as well with um sort of, you know, like the whole idea of hunting and serving meat as a man. Mm. Um, that and providing and for providing the family. providing the meats. Um, not necessarily harvesting vegetables or whatever but like so so i think there's definitely that challenge but i think this is generally the taste as well mm. um and and i think if we remove the objection of masculinity and performance all that's left is really taste of food yeah and 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 i think this could um, but that's the thing that always comes up first because the other two things are kind of the deeper down when you sit down and think about it triggers Whereas taste is the first thing that pops into someone's head when you have that discussion with them. Yeah, I'd, is it though? Is taste could taste be the number one thing? Could taste be someone's attachment to eating steak, like an like an actual emotional attachment to having sausages or fried chicken? Mm. Like, is that like a prop? Like, is that such a deep addiction? 
Well, it couldn't, I don't necessarily think that it's always an addiction. It could be an emotional thing, like yeah. what your mum makes for you yeah. on a Sunday when you go over to her house or what you used to grow up eating. Or that's like, if you've got a mum in particular that like, if she comes to visit and she loves to express her love for you through cooking, like I know that's the way that my mum shows love and my grandma and I know like your side of the family it's mm. the same with like the in-laws as well yeah. like if she couldn't make chicken schnitzel for our niece and nephew or for her son like that would be devastating to her yeah so there's a lot of emotion that plays on in that sense it's of not necessarily down, yeah. yeah yeah and also letting go of those memories yeah you know like oh i'll never be able to have that again yes yeah, I think we talked about that emotional, like letting people down in our uh, two-part series of how to transition to a vegan lifestyle uh, podcast episodes um, yeah. that we'll, we'll link to in the, in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, look, I just wanted to, uh, I think the easiest thing to do to overcome this concern around the taste of food with men is to provide a solution. Mm. You know what I mean? That's ultimately what it's going to come down to until proven and until given an example of what um, really tasty vegan food is like to experience. There's going to be doubts, right? Um, You know, there's going to be doubts about this is just salad or it's just like, um, you know, this fake meat stuff or whatever it is, these perceptions of what vegan food is. So I think being able to take them to a restaurant or cook some really great food is going to be important, but also setting the right expectations. Like, you know, at the moment, your taste buds, you have a lifetime of taste buds geared towards mm. animal-based products. Mm. So your apex experience in food is a 10 out of 10 for these foods, mm. right? The best experience you can get for a vegan meal is probably an 8 out of 10 right now. Yeah. But that's still really good. And we talk about this again in another episode called The Vegan Trade-Off. There is a trade-off, right? Yeah. But if you sit at that eight-fourth period of time or you experience more vegan food, your, your taste buds are going to adjust. And eventually, that what that used to be an 8 out of 10 vegan meal is going to be a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Right? Because you're going to experience different flavors that you hadn't experienced before. But I think you need to give them something up front. Yeah. There's something that's yeah. that's that, to give that's them amazing. hope or to yeah. to kind of go okay. So this there's joy. Like a, there's still joy yeah. I can experience in food. Yeah, and I mean, we love food. Yeah, we love food. So I don't feel like I'm really missing out. Like every now and then I go, yeah, okay, but I can make a vegan version of it. Mm. Most nine out of ten times I can make a vegan version of that. Yeah, and whatever that one time that I can't, I can easily go without. It's not that big of a deal. Like yeah. the suffering of this planet and the animals, it's much more important to me than my taste buds in that sense. Yeah. And again, it's not like you're compromising that much. So you just got to put things into perspective at the end of the day. For sure. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Is there anything else you want to add in there? Uh, no, no. I, you know, I just... Obviously, I just hope, uh, like, you can hear that we're pretty passionate about this topic, and um, I just hope that we can reach, the, the, we we can see more growth in veganism overall. Yeah, male, female, whatever your gender, whatever you consider your gender to be, I, I generally just wanted to grow, but I just wanted to sort of ride the wave of this documentary and sort of think of some really deep concerns that we need to help this demographic overcome to become vegan. And I hope that we've given you some ideas of how to overcome masculinity, performance, and the emotional connection to the taste of food uh, with some with some great resources that we can refer to men because uh, I get it. Like I just, I've been in these social circles. I am in these social circles. And there's, there's like almost an obsession to strengthen performance in these communities, right? Yeah. It's all they talk about. Mm. what type of protein shakes and what exercise they're doing and optimize, 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 right? What supplements, what the, like, it's just, it's such a huge deep industry, right? And if, if we can disrupt it with veganism and give them another way, I think that's really strong and tough and admirable. Mm. Um, and, and I hope that that can be the narrative moving forward. Mm. Well said, Michael. Well said. Cool. Going to be a good All year right. podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And uh, 
yeah, we hope we've given you some food for thought. And if you haven't seen Game Changers, I think you should go check it out. And as we said, it's available what on iTunes and Netflix, and you can probably find it yeah, in any other Google places. The game changes, yeah, Game Changers. Yeah, you'll find it. Yes. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. See ya. Bye. All right, there it is, guys. Episode 44 of the Minimalist Vegan Podcast. The first one for 2020. And uh, what can I say? We're pumped. We're really, really excited about getting back into the show. And uh, and the conversation that we had today was it really challenged us to really think about what's happening in the vegan movement. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you're interested in you know, finding out a little bit more about the Game Changers or some of the interviews and conversations that we found uh, on the Joe Rogan podcast on YouTube. Um, you can find all of the links to uh, what we mentioned in the episode over at theminimalistvegan.com slash 044. That's theminimalistvegan.com slash 044. And look, we, we forgot to, to mention in the conversation, we just wanted to thank everybody who reached out to us over these really tough times with the bushfires here in Australia uh, just to check in to see if we're okay so I just wanted to say thank you it it really meant a lot to us uh, and it's really great to see everybody come together around some of these environmental issues that we're all facing and look I think that's it for this week if if you haven't already uh, would love your support to leave your rating or review on whatever podcast app you're using. Normally, I'd say iTunes, but it's now called Apple Podcasts and Spotify is getting really popular now. So um, honestly, just um, even if you just share this podcast with a good friend of yours, if you think they're going to get value from it, that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for your attention. We don't take it for granted. And here's to living with less stuff and more compassion. Peace.